0: Parenting is one of those subjects where pastors normally tread very carefully. At least they do today. And that's because parents can be very sensitive about this. They have their own ideas, their own standards, their own way of doing things, and they generally don't like people giving them unsolicited advice. It's also a part of life about which people, and especially conservative evangelical Christian people, tend to have fairly strong opinions. The number of parenting books and whole parenting systems that float around our circles is a testament to that. Uh, there are those who subscribe to the methods taught by the Gothards or the Ezos or the Pearls or other parachurch ministries. Uh, there are those who follow closely the works of well-known authors like James Dobson or Ted Tripp or his brother Paul or Elizabeth George or Ginger Plowman or any one of dozens and dozens of others who've written on the subject of parenting. And then there are all the opinions that Christians share on Facebook in groups for mums or on their personal pages. And then there are those perfect Christian families who uh, document their lives on Instagram. Oh look, there's mum baking organic cupcakes for the homeless shelter with her smiling children while teaching them the Shorter Catechism. (laughs) It it really has become a sensitive area for church leaders to to teach on. And personally, uh, usually I'm a bit nervous uh, when it comes up in uh, the book that we're studying. Uh, And as God would have it, it comes up this evening in our study through Paul's letter to the Colossians. Uh, As you know, we've been making our way through the household code in chapter 3. And thus far, we've seen the commands given to wives to husbands and to children uh, next in line are the fathers r- really the parents uh, we find this in verse 21 but to uh, refresh our memories we'll take our reading from verse 18 down to chapter 4 verse 1 colossians chapter 3 verse 18 wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the lord Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleases, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Fathers... Provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. We're going to consider this command tonight by asking and answering four questions. You can see them there in the outline. And the fourth question will lead us into some fairly detailed application, a bit of a checklist by which we can see if we need to change what we're doing. The first question is fairly straightforward. Who is this addressed to? Well, that's easy, isn't it? Fathers. Paul speaks to fathers because in the Greco-Roman world and in Jewish society, the father was the head of the home. And uh, that wasn't just a cultural norm. It actually reflected the order that God has ordained for the family unit. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. I'm not going to talk about this order tonight. Uh, We thought about it in our study of the commands given to wives in verse 18 and to husbands in verse 19. I'm going to assume that we agree on the fact that the Bible teaches that the husband and father is the head of the home. What I will say is that in this capacity, it's the father who is supposed to set the direction and the standard and the tone and the example when it comes to parenting the children. Fathers are to lead in this aspect of family life and unfortunately it's not always the case, is it? Too often it's the mother who has to lead the way. The the father is too busy with his work or too busy doing his own thing, too self-centred, preoccupied with his hobbies or with his mates or with his sport or his computer or his projects around the home or he's just too lazy or too short-tempered and impatient. Impatient. By default, even in Christian homes, the responsibility of leadership in parenting falls to the mother, and it shouldn't. And uh, this is a reminder for me as much as anyone else here tonight. Fathers need to be interested and engaged in raising their children. They need to be leading the way. While this command is addressed to fathers, it most definitely includes mothers. Uh, Children are to obey their Parents, father and mother. Paul has just said that in verse 20. and So what he says concerning the raising of children in the next verse applies to both fathers and mothers. And interestingly, the word that he uses to refer to fathers is translated parents in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. And so it's appropriate to take this primarily as a command to fathers, but also to include mothers. It's a command for parents. That brings us to question number two. What is commanded? The answer to this lies in understanding this word provoke. And by the way, you'll notice that the words to anger are in italics. They've been supplied by the translators to give the sense in English and uh, it's a helpful translation. But all Paul wrote was this, fathers, provoke not your children. And so I think we need to drill down into this word, provoke, if we're going to get the full sense of this command. Uh, the Greek word is erethizo, and it means to stimulate or to excite and it only occurs twice in the New Testament. Uh, It's used in a a positive sense in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 2, and I'll read that to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. The example of the Corinthians' commitment and generosity in setting aside money for the poor Christians in Jerusalem had stimulated other churches to give Generously, It had provoked them. That was a good thing. Obviously, the word is used in a negative sense here because Paul tells parents not to do it. Here it means to exasperate or irritate. We tend to think of our kids doing this to us, but we can do this to them. In my study, I came across this next piece of information in one of my commentaries, and I thought it was quite illuminating. I can't claim the credit for it. But uh, in giving this command, Paul probably had Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through 21 in mind. So if you could turn over there and we'll read those verses. Deuteronomy chapter 21, picking it up at verse 18. The Bible says... If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, he will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of his city and unto the gates of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shalt thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. I'm not going to get into a discussion of this command tonight. As you probably know, it's raised from time to time by those who want to accuse God and the Old Testament law of being cruel and barbaric. All I want to point out for our purposes this evening is that in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which Paul quotes from frequently in his epistles, uh, the word rebellious is this word "erethizo." The child in view here is stubborn, gluttonous, a drunkard, and erethizo, Provoking, exasperating, always pushing people's buttons, we would say today, constantly... Pushing back against authority. Paul is saying in our text, don't do that to your children. Don't exasperate them. Don't push their buttons. Because if you do, they will exasperate you and everybody else. Uh, Dr. Moo sums it up like this in his commentary on our verse. Uh, Paul, in effect is exhorting fathers to raise their children in such a way that they do their utmost to avoid provoking this kind of rebellious attitude in them. There is no absolute guarantee when it comes to parenting and the way our children will turn out. There are very clear principles given to us in the scriptures, but no promises In the end, every son and every daughter has to decide how they're going to live, who they're going to listen to, who they're going to obey. They have to decide whether they're going to follow their own heart or follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But what we do now as parents has a tremendous impact upon their choices. We can provoke our children, exasperate them, and in so doing, put them on the pathway to rebellion... Or we can encourage them and instruct them in such a way that puts them on the path of righteousness and life. In our our verse here in Colossians chapter 3, we have the negative side, uh, what not to do. And so we'll, we'll stick with this, we'll have to leave the positive side for another day. We'll get to the ways in which we can provoke our children in a moment, but next we need to consider the reason Paul gives us for obeying this command. And so we come to question number three in our outline. What happens when fathers or parents fail to obey this command? Let's look at our verse again. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Children are discouraged... ...when their parents provoke them. The word Paul uses here means to be dispirited, to to lose heart. Uh, One author defines it this way, it is to be listless, sullen, discouraged or despairing. As I pondered this, it occurred to me that there are so many children and especially teenagers in our world today to whom this description applies... Uh, they're dispirited, listless, sullen, broken. Why? Because their home life has been so poor. And as a result, they've retreated. They, they lose themselves in technology, in their devices, their video games, their music. Many into a life of drug use, pornography and casual sex. Now sure, this is, this is not all teenagers today, don't, don't misunderstand me but a fairly large percentage and, you know, to varying degrees. This is only anecdotal, but recently I've been struck by a number of conversations with older teenagers and young adults where where their nihilism has has come through. They have no belief in truth, no real sense of purpose, and they're not overly troubled by that, or so it seemed. A part of that obviously stems from the naturalistic, materialistic worldview that has shaped their education from preschool to the university lecture hall. But it probably also flows from parents who were disengaged, parents who provoked them. In this sense, and uh, it's it's very sad. Now, we can observe this out there in the world, but it would be wrong to see it as something that only happens out there in the world. Children in Christian homes can be discouraged too. I've met some, and maybe you have as well. Children who are dispirited because their their parents have choked the life out of them, so to speak. Their parents have suppressed their personality, given them very little agency. They're unsure of themselves. They have next to no confidence. Now, sure, they're obedient and outwardly moral, but obviously insecure and unhappy. And I've, I've wondered when I've met them, what's going to become of them when they grow up? And then I've met other children where it seemed fairly clear that mum and dad were raising Rebels. None of this is to say that I'm a a perfect parent. I'm not, and none of us are. Uh, Those of us with young children are always learning. Uh, There are always things we can improve. We can be more self-controlled, more consistent, more loving, more spiritually involved in our kids' lives. Uh, We'll just about get it right, and then they'll leave home. But this reality doesn't let us off the hook. It doesn't mean we can excuse ourselves from having a long, hard look at our parenting And in particular, what this text talks about. I don't want to raise discouraged, dispirited, listless, sullen, rebellious children. And neither do you. And so we come to our fourth question and some application for our daily life. How can parents exasperate and discourage their children? In other words, what do we need to avoid? What could we be doing that is discouraging our children? When Paul says, don't provoke your kids, what kind of behaviours is he telling us to run away from? Uh, This is where the, the rubber meets the road, so to speak. In his commentary on this verse, uh, Dr John MacArthur spells out ten ways that parents can exasperate their children. And I thought this list was very helpful and very much worth sharing with you. And uh, instead of trying to paraphrase what he's written, I thought I'd just cut and paste in the old-fashioned way and uh, take you through what he's written. You can see the section in your notes. Uh, You might not agree with every finer point he makes. You might think some of this is a bit overstated, and, and that's okay but I trust you'll find this useful. And uh, I'd like us to use this as a a bit of a checkup, as a means of examining our own parenting. Uh, As we go through this, perhaps you'll think, yes, I have that tendency, or yes, I'm heading down that path. I need to be careful. I need to stop. So uh, here we go. There are several ways parents can cause their children to lose heart. First... Parents can exasperate their children by overprotection. Overprotective parents never allow their children any liberty. They have strict rules about everything. No matter what their children do, overprotective parents do not trust them. Because nothing they do earns their parents' trust, children begin to despair and may believe that how they behave is irrelevant. That can lead to rebellion. Parents are to provide rules and guidelines for their children, but those rules should not become a noose that strangle them. Above all, parents must communicate to their children that they trust them. Second, parents exasperate their children by showing favoritism. That is often done unwittingly by comparing a child unfavorably to siblings or classmates. By making a child feel like the black sheep of the family, parents can create a terrible sense of frustration. Third, parents exasperate their children by depreciating their worth. Many children have been convinced that what they do and feel are not important. That is communicating to children that they are not significant. Many parents depreciate their children's worth by refusing to listen to them. And that's true, isn't it? Children who are not listened to may give up trying to communicate and become discouraged, shy and withdrawn. Fourth, parents exasperate their children by setting unrealistic goals. Parents can do that by never rewarding them or never letting them feel that they have succeeded. Nothing is enough, so the children never get full approval. Such parents are often trying to make their children into something they themselves were not. The results can be tragic, Some children become so frustrated that they commit suicide. Fifth, parents exasperate their children by failing to show affection. Parents need to communicate love to their children both verbally and physically. Failing to do so will discourage and alienate a child. Sixth, Some parents exasperate their children by not providing for their needs. Children need things like privacy, a place to play, clean clothes, a place to study, their own possessions and good meals. By providing those necessities, parents show their respect and concern for their children. Seventh, parents exasperate their children by a lack of standards. This is the flip side of overprotection. When parents fail to discipline or discipline inconsistently, children are left on their own. They cannot handle that kind of freedom and begin to feel insecure and unloved. Eighth, parents exasperate their children by criticism. Haim Ginnett wrote, A child learns what he lives. If he lives with criticism, he does not learn responsibility. He learns to condemn himself and to find fault with others. He learns to doubt his own judgment, to disparage his own ability and to distrust the intention of others. And above all, he learns to live with continual expectation of impending doom. Parents should seek to create in the home a positive, constructive environment. Ninth, parents exasperate their children by neglect. The classic biblical example is Absalom. David was indifferent to him. And the result was rebellion, civil war and Absalom's death. Parents need to be involved in their children's lives. Finally, parents exasperate their children by excessive discipline. This is the parent who abuses his children, either verbally, emotionally or physically. Parents often say things to their children that they would never say to anyone else. They should never discipline their children in anger, Rather, parents should lovingly correct their children just as their Heavenly Father does them. Uh, it's a solemn list, isn't it? I think he just about covers it all. Uh, this is how we provoke our kids and discourage them. overprotection, favoritism, depreciating their worth, unrealistic goals, a failure to show affection, not providing for their needs, a lack of standards, criticism, neglect, excessive discipline. If some of these hit home with you, Uh, if you know you're letting your kids down in one of these ways, then I hope you'll be honest with the Lord about that. Don't don't ignore it. Uh, Don't push that thought to the back of your mind. Be honest with the Lord. And perhaps you need to be honest with your spouse too when you get home. Maybe you need to have a conversation about this. Take responsibility and get things right. If God is putting his finger on your heart tonight, I hope you'll confess your failings and ask for his help to address the problem and to do better. I know we love our kids. Let's purpose in our hearts to be for them exactly what God wants us to be. Amen.